0: Nadella from Pella. And let me tell you, 555 is back. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. See Paulawi.com.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Mobile Studio at Summerfest, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620.
2: And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. That's right, we are live. This is the last weekend of Summerfest 2021. The gates have just opened up. Hey, let me tell you something. It, all right, th- if you are of a certain age, today's the day you want to come down here because you know what? Today is Direct Supply Senior Fest Day. All patrons 60 plus will be admitted free between noon and 4 o'clock when they present their ID at the designated turnstile at any gate. Um, you also, admitted seniors, get a voucher for 2 bucks off of food or non-alcoholic beverage purchases of over 10 bucks. So, I mean, you're, you're getting in free, and you're getting a coupon that gets you 2 bucks off purchases of $10 or more. It does not get much better than that. And all sorts of great entertainment going on, as we were mentioning in the news. And th- this is no surprise, because when I had a chance to talk to Summerfest, CEO Don Smiley two weeks ago today. The the new Summerfest dates are out and the new procedures for next year are out. And it's no surprise that this, this year is not a one off. Uh, next year as part of an ongoing experiment, they are also going to be doing SummerFest, not the traditional eleven days, but they're going to be doing it again over three weekends, June twenty third to twenty fifth, June thirtieth to July second, and July seventh to ninth. So it's going to be over nine days. Um, but back to it. its traditional time period in late June and early July. And I think what uh, Don Smiley had said is it, it's an experiment. I mean, nothing is written in stone, but the the general thing, Summerfest is always trying to tinker with stuff and figure out, all right, what can we do to make stuff better? And I know one of the things that they were looking at, and I understand that there's a lot of traditionalists out there who are like, well, I like the way that it, that it used to be, but one of the things, I mean, one of the realities is that if, if you look at attendance, what they found is the Sunday of Summerfest, both Sundays, tend to be lower attended. Tuesday tended to be lower attended. So what they're trying to do is they're saying, okay, if we cut down the number of days but put it over three weekends on days that people like to go out, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, are we going to provide a a better overall experience in addition, when it comes to booking bands, and that's a lot of what Summerfest is all about, it's easier to do it over three weekends than it is to try to, you know, fill in the the Sundays and the Tuesdays and things like that. It, nothing is written in stone, but for next year, again, it's going to be over a, a three-week period, just like this year, except back at the traditional time. And I think then after that, they'll, they'll take a step back and say, okay, what makes the most sense moving forward my guess is they keep that format moving forward but that's just a guess i mean things will tell but the bottom line is we've got three more days of Summerfest. the weather forecast looks absolutely beautiful in addition saturday which is the final day of Summerfest, um they, they've extended their fan appreciation day so here's the deal if you were thinking of coming down saturday you can come down from noon until seven and you can get in free so before 7 o'clock, you get in free. In addition, the first 30,000 people that come through the gates on Saturday get a ticket valid for free admission for Summerfest 2022. So how cool is that? You get, you get in for free, and you get a ticket that lets you get in for free for one day next year. So I think the, the folks at Summerfest deserve a lot of credit for, in this pandemic world, trying to make stuff happen. And they're they're trying to make it the most fan-friendly experience possible the first weekend, my general sense from broadcasting here was that the attendance was light. And and there's all sorts of reasons for that. Again, it's a new experiment. Uh, You've got teachers that are back in school. You've got kids that are back in school, college kids that are away. So I I think it's a different sort of world. And and whatever the numbers are this year, I don't think it really matters as much. The folks at Summerfest get credit for just pulling this off. And I think they're doing it in a very, very fan-friendly way. And even though like, for example, yesterday was not an official Summerfest day. There was a big concert here. Uh, the Dave Matthews Band played, and the, the local newspaper said the show was over three hours. I'm a fan of Dave Matthews, and friends called yesterday morning and, and invited Fran and I to go see the show, and we had other plans and, and couldn't do it, um, which is probably just as well. If they played three hours, I probably wouldn't have gotten home till 1 o'clock in the morning, and, and I, I imagine I would have been dragging today. But so you've got all those shows going on. Bottom line is Chamber of Commerce Day. Here today. Come on down. Enjoy Summerfest. And if you are down here, please be sure to stop off and say hello. Seniors, people over the age of 60, get in free. Until 4 o'clock today. How good is that? All right. It, we've been talking about all week. I was gone last week. We were on one of our listener trips. Um, we went to Paris, and then we, we went to Normandy. Nor- there was a lot of highlights of the trip. I think almost everybody on the trip would say seeing the, the D-Day sites, seeing Omaha Beach and seeing Utah Beach and seeing Ponte Hoc, where the... Um, Rangers scaled this 200 sheer foot cliff, you know, with Germans dropping hand grenades on them. Uh, that that was imp- incredible. Saint Merriglaise, where the uh, paratroopers, the Band of Brothers, where they parachuted into the, the town, you, you know, th- those were all wonderful. And of course, um, if you want to talk about really a, an incredibly moving experience, we visited the American Cemetery in Normandy, where 6,000 American soldiers are are buried. It's you, you recognize. I mean, what really struck me last week was the sacrifice the greatest generation made and the exceptionalism of America. And, and by that I mean if for whatever reasons the United States had decided not to get involved in, in World War II and, and not to commit all the resources of this country, the, 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 the world would be a much different place than it is today because you have that American exceptionalism. And I understand if you, you know, listen to some stuff in the media or you spend your time watching CNN or things of the like, you get the impression maybe that, that people, there are people out there that have disdain for Americans. And, and one of the things that really struck me last week, again, being in France, is how, how appreciated Americans are. There, there was not a place we went in Normandy where people weren't genuinely glad to see Americans. And I'm, it's not just because, you know, they depend on tourism and they're glad to see Americans coming over there. That, that's an element of it. But I mean, there are, there are generations that, that grew up in France recognizing that America liberated them and if it were not for the americans coming over making the commitment you know the, their world would be completely and totally different a couple of years ago we were on a river cruise in the uh, on the rhine and we stopped in in alsace which is this this town, I think it's the most, they say it's, the, it's right on the German-French border, and they say it's the most conquered town in the in, in history of the world, because it seems like every 10 years back for a period of time, every 10 or 20 years, Germany would take it, and then France would take it back. And, and we went to this little bistro for, for lunch, and as we're, as we're walking out, there's a guy, and I'd say he's probably 80 years old, and he's the owner of the bistro, and he comes up to us because he knows we're, we're Americans, and he starts talking about the stories about how he lived through the German occupation, and, you know, and, and how it was the Americans that liberated this village. And he's hugging us, and there's tears. It's this genuine affection for the role that America played in, in the development of the world. And, you know, I, I understand that we have a country that has problems. There are all sorts of, of problems around the country. And, you know, I, no country is perfect. But you know what? I, I, think, I think the idea of American exceptionalism is still alive, whether it's innovations, whether it's from the scientific perspective or the economic perspective. I, I mean, I think this experiment in democracy, which is challenged from time to time, is still, it's still great. And I was thinking about this because I was listening to stu- some stuff the other day, and there's some younger people out there you know, who have trouble with saying that America is the greatest country in the world. Well, we don't necessarily, we don't think we should have to say that America is the greatest country. You know, that's that sounds like, oh, we're just puffing ourselves up. You know, there's there's all these countries that are, they all think that they're great. Well, you know what, I have, as an American, no problem at all saying that I think, even with all our problems, this is the greatest country in the world. Now, as evidence, I point to the fact that you see People from all over the world who are trying to get into the United States. You don't see a lot of people that are in the United States trying to get out of the United States. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sometimes I think we need to take a step back, but my premise is America remains the greatest country in the world, I don't think we have to apologize for it. And I think we should recognize that and appreciate the greatness of this country. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. We are broadcasting live from Summerfest 2021. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: They look to the west, the third world wonders which way's the best
2: Welcome back. Jeff Wagner broadcasting live from Summerfest 2021. Yeah, Glenn Fry had it right. It's better in the USA. I guess it's a little frustrating to me that you have some people, particularly I think some younger people, who don't feel comfortable saying that, oh, well, you know, we, we don't want to be puffing out our chests. We don't want to be talking about how great it is to be an American. I, I'm here to tell you. It is great to be an American, and I understand that we've got problems in this country, but you have problems in all the different countries that are out there. If you look at what this country has done historically, and even where we are now, you don't see, again, you don't see people trying to flee this country. And I understand you have some celebrities saying, "Oh, if so-and-so gets elected, I'm moving to Canada, and then they never do that. You have people from all over the world who are trying to do whatever they can to get into this country because... Well, they recognize, too, that if you're looking to have a better way of life, this is where you want to be. 855 which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I'm, a 50, I'm 54 years old. I know we have serious problems in this country, but nowadays there's no doubt in my mind that this is and always will be the greatest country in the world. Yeah, And yet some people are hesitant wanting to admit this. Jeff, I so agree with you about the greatness of America. We've just taken in thousands of people from Afghanistan and taken care of them, a country in which many of the citizens will chant death to America and hate us. What other country on the planet would do that? We are the greatest country and we should always thank the greatest generation for that, um, you know, no question about it. But yet, and I think for people who, for people who have hesitancy in saying, okay, look, we we want to be patriotic, we want to wave the flag, we want to recognize American exceptionalism. Maybe what those folks should do is travel a little bit. Um, and, and understand, you know, what it's like in, in other parts of the world. Here's a text from uh, Lou. Jeff, my friend Marcus came to Chicago from Slovenia. He was able to open a bears theme bar in West Dallas because of the opportunity Chicago and the country gave him. He constantly reminds me of how lucky I am to be an American and how much he loves the country that gave him the opportunity to own his own bar even through COVID. He is a true first-generation American, and he gets it. Yeah, see, that's you know, that's the thing. For for all the people out there that are like, well, I don't know that I feel comfortable in pronouncing this is a great country. The other thing you should do, every and I, when I worked in another life in the U.S. Attorney's Office, had an opportunity, they have these naturalization ceremonies down at, at the federal building, and sometimes they do it once a month, sometimes they do it once every two months, but these are people who've come into the country the right way. And these are people who've gone through all the hoops and are on the verge of becoming American citizens. And it's the swearing in. And I want to tell you, if you want to see something that is genuinely, genuinely life-affirming, what you do is you you go down there and and you watch these people who have come into this country, have gone through all these hoops, and how glad they are are um, glad they are to be americans and and i understand again we, this is not a perfect country no question about it and and we have issues but for everybody out there who thinks well you know we've america has, is in decline this is a country in decline and we'd rather be somewhere else well okay Travel a little bit, and my guess is you will quickly change your impression of that. And I guess I hope for most of us we never get to that point where we're embarrassed to stand up and say, This is the greatest country in the world. Because you know what? It is. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
3: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Yeah, I want
1: to,
2: Welcome back. That is the Spin Doctors. They are playing this afternoon, 4 o'clock, Summerfest, the Line Warehouse. Come check it out. The WTMJ team, that includes me, broadcasting live from Summerfest throughout the festival. Three days left. And our team isn't on the air hanging out with fans. They are grabbing a bite at Major Goolsbee's, which is located right down the way near the Briggs and Stratton Big Backyard or at Major Goolsbee's downtown, dangerously close to the Deer District. WTMJ and Major Goolsbee's come see us at the world's largest music festival, the first legal beer that I purchased. When I was 18 years old, and yes, the drinking age was 18 at the time, the first legal beer that I purchased when I turned 18 was on my birthday. At major gouldsby 's you know, and it it's, well, that, that the same the same s- table that I sat at way back when is probably still there, so check out major gouldsby's It is a legendary, absolutely legendary place, all right, just to kind of put a put a little cherry on the cake of uh, the top of the cake of our discussion about American exceptionalism uh, here 's a text, Jeff I know. The feeling. I spent several years traveling across the world when I was in the military and now do a lot of traveling overseas as a civilian pilot. I often find myself thinking it's their country, it's their rules. I am fully relieved every time I process through U.S. customs. Well, I think that there is certainly an element of that. Jeff, I've traveled extensively. I've lived abroad non-military for a few years. I've found many countries that were great. None None completely measure to the United States. Yep, I, I think that there is, th- and I guess that, that's the point. I mean, look, I I, I love being in France. I, I've loved France. I, I've loved the chance to visit Germany. Okay, I've loved aspects of that. There's some nice towns. There's some wonderful people. But I'm telling you, I, I think I'm proud to be an American, and I think we need to recognize more of that. And I don't think we need to be denying American exceptionalism.
1: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. They say what don't kill me can make me stronger So two drinks a night should help me live longer I blow some smoke just to give my lungs a
2: test This is Ludacris, who will be performing 10 p.m. tonight at the Miller Light Oasis at Summerfest. Again, we're broadcasting live from Summerfest. It's the, uh, well, there's three days left, including today. The big gig is here, and WTMJ is your home for all things Summerfest. We bring you straight to the stage as we broadcast live every day from the Gruber Law Office's Sports Zone. It's the world's largest music festival on the biggest stick in the state, Wisconsin's radio station, News Radio WTMJ. M J. Right during Melissa's news, she, she had a story about um, former governor Tommy Thompson, who is I I I, I got to know tommy pretty well i got to him extremely well in 1994 when you know we were all running for office together and and he's always been a force of nature so if you weren't the, the story is he's um, heading into surgery um, apparently his his shoulder is is messed up he needs to have his bicep reed re- attached to his, his tendon in his arm okay so so you understand that those are the types of things that happen but the the fascinating aspect of this story is, is the fact, is why he needs to have it. Now, look, I, I, I understand you, as, as we get older, um, you know, stuff, stuff happens. You know, you, you, you have falls and things like that. All right, Tommy Thompson, he, he's apparently going into surgery to have his bicep reattached to his tendon because he was injured in a water skiing accident. All right, Tommy is going to be 80 in a couple months He's going to be 80 in a couple months, which means at the age of 79, almost 80, he's out water skiing, to which I say god bless him. I mean, what that 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 to me is the most incredible aspect of the story, not the fact that okay, you know, he he hurt himself doing this, but that he's water skiing when he's almost 80 years old. I hope First of all, I hope that I am around when I am almost 80 years old. And secondly, I, I, can't imagine, I can't imagine water skiing at my age. But can you imagine Tommy Thompson is out there? He's water skiing at the age of 80. How amazing is that? And obviously, we, we wish the former governor all the very best. But just what a, what a great story. I mean, out there water skiing at the age of 80. How cool is that? All right. I want you to imagine a situation. Let's say... That you have the, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, who comes to the conclusion that Joe Biden is not up to the job, comes to the conclusion that, that Joe Biden is unstable, senile, w- whatever, um, has be based on you know his interactions. This is the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the head of it. Um, bec- his interactions when he meets with the president, he's like, gosh, you know, I, I just I think he's losing it. I, I'm troubled by the fact that, you know, when, whenever he goes off script, the White House turns off the microphone so he can't say things. I've had these meetings, and I'm, I'm really, really concerned uh, about this. And the, because you're concerned about, I don't know whether or not Joe Biden is with it, you start to wonder, that the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff says, boy, I, I, I wonder, you know, what, what this guy might do. And so what you decide is you're going to tell your subordinates, look, here's the deal. If Biden does anything that I think, I don't know, know, might might get us into a a wartime setting or something like that, I'm going to I'm going to slow walk it. You know, we're going to delay the, the orders. And let's say, for example, that. I don't know um, there there's some concerns that China for example might invade Taiwan all right there's a concern about that and and the head of the joint chiefs of staff say boy I'm I'm concerned that that Biden who I don't think he's all there I'm concerned that he might you know uh, you know direct some military action you know against China and we don't want to do that so the head of the joint chiefs takes it upon himself to call up his counterpart in China, and say, look, here's the deal. I'm worried that the president is kind of unstable, but I want you to know that any order that he might give me that would order the military to get involved and and take action against you, you don't have to worry because, first of all, I'm going to try to slow walk it, and secondly, um, I will call you in advance and tell you that the attack is coming. All right. Now, this is the head of the of the department of the Joint Chase's staff. Can you imagine somebody saying, hey, I'm concerned that Joe Biden's not with it and and calling a a foreign country and telling that person, don't don't worry if if the president orders military action, I'm going against you. I'm going to do everything I can to delay this. And then I'm going to call and and tell you that this would be happening. Uh, Imagine back all right just got back from Normandy imagine in 1944 if all right the uh, Dwight Eisenhower decided that hey Franklin Roosevelt is losing it so here's what I'm going to do if you know when he authorizes D-Day to go ahead I'm going to I'm going to slow walk D-Day and I'm going to call Germany and I'm going to say hey don't worry before we invade I'm going to call you and tell you we're doing that well of course you know of, of course Eisenhower wouldn't have done that and I'm but you can imagine that the situation there. And there's lots of words that you would throw around to describe this. And I, I'm hesitant to use the word treason because that's a big word. But nobody would do that, would they? Well, all right, that brings us to the fact that if you wouldn't do it for Joe Biden and you wouldn't do it for Franklin Roosevelt, was it appropriate to do it when Donald Trump was the president? Now, it's difficult to piece together reality, but if you've been following the story, the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staffs, a guy named Mark Miley, and, and decorated military veteran, long-time career, 40 years almost in the military, highly decorated, highly respected. Well, the story, Bob Woodward, who's the reporter for the Washington Post, who, you know, was credited with kind of, you know, starting to, to break the Watergate scandal. You know, Woodward has a new book about the, the last days of the Trump administration coming out. It's called Peril. That That's the book. And it's always tough to tell with Woodward you know, what's the truth and what's, you know, what's kind of, uh, I don't know, sort of um, amplified or whatever. Because the way he writes is, the way that I've heard it described as being opaque. You know, it's not like he, he uses unnamed sources and he mixes stuff and things like that. So it's not like he says, all right, this is the person that said this is what the, the general did. But the book alleges that General Miley called China's top military commander before the November election. Okay, so this is before the vote, and said, if we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. I mean that that is that is the the allegation. Now again, it, it's tough to judge the accuracy of this because Woodward's book doesn't say this is what the person said. Um, The spokesperson from the general yesterday, though, contains no denials. It says the general's calls with the Chinese and others in October and then later on in January were intended to maintain strategic stability and were communicated with the Department of Defense and the interagency. However, it apparently, these calls weren't made known to the then President of the United States, or the then Secretary of Defense. So you have this guy from the Joint Chiefs of Staff who's sort of going rogue, who's reaching out to a foreign power and saying, hey, don't worry. um, If if anything happens, if we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate mortgage talk and text line. Now, I don't know if Woodward's report is is true or, or not. And I'm sure there's going to be some investigating into that. But if it is true, isn't it scary or troubling that you have members of the military who are deciding that they are going to bypass the the civilian chain of control we have and regardless of what the president says, I, I'm going to call up and say, okay, this attack is happening. I'm not going to inform the Secretary of Defense of this. And, and I understand with these things, it's tough It's tough to take out the fact that, well, don't you know, Donald Trump was crazy, et cetera, et cetera, and, and all the Trump hatred that's there. But isn't this a scary thing if, in fact, it, it happened? And if it did happen... How can this guy keep his job? And do we in this country want members of the military taking those things upon themselves. And that's why I start with the analogy of, instead of, if if we weren't talking about Trump, but if we were instead talking about, well, I'm I'm concerned what Biden might do. I don't think he's all there, so I'm going to call up foreign powers who we may be hostile to, and I'm going to promise them, don't worry, before we do anything, I'm calling you to tell you about it. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If this is true, and I say if, but if this is true, how can this guy continue to serve as the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? And if you don't want to use the word treason, because like I say, that is a big word, at the very least this is extremely inappropriate. Isn't it? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment.
1: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs>
2: We are once again broadcasting live from Summerfest. Three days left in the festival. That is Ludacris performing at ten o'clock this evening on the uh, um, ten o'clock this evening on the uh, Miller Light at the Miller Light Oasis. So come on down and, and check that out. I, I just look. I, I understand. And some of the people who are trying to apologize or being apologists for this behavior say, "Well, it, it's not uncommon for, for example, for generals." to have conversations, in this case the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, to have conversations with his military counterparts um, across the world. I, and I, I don't deny that. That That's not the point. Sure, I, I understand, I, I'm sure that, you know, that that, that is a regular part of, of a dialogue. But, but what's unusual, it's not the fact that they had conversations. It's the fact that this general, if these allegations are true, is so far outside the chain of command as to be unbelievable. Because it, it's not, am I surprised that, gee, at some point in time, our head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff might have. Conversations with the the head of the joint chiefs of, of the of the people 's Liberation Army in China, no, I mean I get that or russia, but what is what 's different about this is if these allegations are correct, he called them up and said look i 'm concerned that the president is erratic.' Don't you worry, um, you know, I'm slow walking any orders that he might give, and if he orders us to undertake a military action, I'm going to call you ahead of time, and I'm going to give you advance notice of it. That is, that's the unique aspect of. This and again, you don't know the facts because it's just being reported in this book. But it is interesting that you know the the state, the general's spokesperson put out a statement, and, and they didn't, they did not deny that this is exactly you know what ended up happening in this regard. So it's not the contact per se, it's what the contact amounted to. Essentially, I'm. don't worry, I'm not going to follow the orders of the President of the United States, and not only am I not going to follow the orders, but if he gives one of these orders, I'm going to call you ahead of time to let you know the attack is coming. Jeff, if I contacted the CEO of my employer and told him my manager was no longer fit to make any future decisions, I suspect that I would be walked out the door. Well, I I suspect that you might as as well, Jeff. Isn't the same as Russian collusion that everyone was yelling about? Well, you know, I, you know, maybe, maybe exactly that. But again, look at look at where we're going with this particular thing, and and take Trump out of it. Now, I, I understand. For a lot of the people in the mainstream media, it's the, the idea is, okay, Trump was insane. He was getting complete. But keep in mind, a lot of these conversations were even before the, the election. All right? that, but I get it. A lot of people don't like Trump. Trump was insane, et cetera, But cetera. But that's not, that's not what the issue is. The issue is going outside of the command stuff. And, again, I go back to this premise. Switch, take out Trump. Say it's Biden. So, say this, this general, say Miley decides, hey, I don't think that, uh, I just don't think that Biden's up to it. And I'm worried that Biden's going to give me some sort of crazy order that I don't think is in the best interest of this country. So, I'm going to be making phone calls to, I'm going to be calling Vladimir Putin. I'm going to be calling, you know, China again. And I'm going to be saying, well, you know, it's Biden, he's kind of unstable here. And don't worry. Don't be upset because any order he gives me, I'm going to slow walk it. And before we take military action, I'm calling you. Which, if he does that, is going to end up getting American troops killed. So you, it's not, you've got to look at this, at least from my perspective, it's not the Trump factor. Take Trump out of it. Ask yourself the question, if this did, in fact, occur, as Bob Woodward alleges, if it occurred... Is this the role of somebody in the military to do? And I guess when I was reading these the stories about this this morning, there's a, there's a great movie and there's a great book. And it, it goes back, gosh, uh, it, it's called Seven Days in May and it it probably it came out in the late 50s or early 60s but it was about the Burt Lancaster played this very highly decorated military he was a general who I think was the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and he had decided that the President of the United States was weak on communism and was cutting these deals that were inappropriate and was in ill health and was losing it and the whole movie is about Kirk Douglas is in this as well and the whole movie is about how the military in this case Burt Lancaster had this secret plan that he had arranged essentially to conduct a coup. And and the, 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 a lot of these arguments were kind of the same. Well, the president is too weak. The president, you know, isn't making these right decisions. And and ultimately the, the plot got thwarted, etc. But it's a fascinating book. But in some cases it's sort of art imitating life. If in fact you have a... Member of the military who's decided to go outside the command structure and make these various calls. Again, I, a number of people are texting in or saying, What well, sounds treasonous to me? Th- that's a big word. And, and I just, you, you have to look at exactly what was said. But I don't think we want to ever be in this position in this country where members of the military decide that they are going to take it upon themselves to either act on on their own or ignore orders that come from the elected representative of the people, in including the president. There are, there are checks and balances in place if you believe that the president of the United States has gotten out of control or whatever. But for one individual to take it upon himself and do that, That's different. And then to take that next step and communicate to foreign powers, don't worry, even if I get this order, I'm going to call you and alert you. Treason's a big word. I'm not sure it's treasonous. But certainly, how can you continue in your position if that is, in fact, the case? Time will tell. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management mobile
1: studio at Summerfest, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's
2: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I have a why question for you, because there's some new stats out that I find to be extremely interesting. For decades, if you looked at the breakdown of who purchased and owned firearms... It is overwhelmingly male. Um, survey. There's this. They, they do. They, there's something called the National Firearms Survey that they do every couple years. The, the surveys for decades have found that among American gun owners, overwhelmingly male. In, in some cases, 80 to 90 percent. That that's always been the number. That the 10 to 20 percent of the firearms owners in the United States were female. So overwhelmingly, this is an overwhelmingly male domain. Well, here's the newest numbers. These are the results just came out from the 2021 National Firearms Survey. Now, first of all, it it shows that gun purchases last year, 2020, which is the last year we have the full numbers, hit an all time high: 21 million gun purchases that went through federal background checks. Now, actually, there were more purchases than that, but these were the ones, you know, you can quantify the federal background checks. 21 million. Here's the other thing that it it estimated. Of new gun owners, these are people that have not owned firearms before, about 4 million men became new gun owners between January of 2019 and now April of this year. So over you know the last couple of years, you, you have about four million men who became first-time gun owners. That same survey finds that about three point five million women became new gun owners during that period. So in, in a an environment where historically, for decade after decade after decade. 80 to 90% of the new gun owners, you know, um, of the gun owners ended up being women. Well, now what we've seen in the last, you know, 2 years essentially is that among new gun owners, it's it's not 50-50, but it's close. I mean, 4 million men, 3.5 million women. You know, the other thing that they are finding is that the the gun ownership is incredibly diverse. I mean, historically, the number of, of existing gun owners it would be overwhelmingly male and it would be overwhelmingly white. Well here's what the among new gun buyers, fifty five percent were white, twenty one percent were black, nineteen percent were Hispanic. Among new women gun owners, twenty eight percent were black. So almost three out of ten of these these women, the new women gun owners who purchased it, they were they were they were African American. They were black. All right, our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty, that is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There there's no question that there's something going on here with regard to the purchase of firearms. Firearms, more firearms being sold now than probably at any point in time, and an overwhelmingly large number of women are are starting to purchase guns people females who would have never considered owning a firearm before are, are now buying now again it 's not quite as many as the men, but it 's not it 's not this ninety ten and eighty twenty it 's now you know fifty five forty five our number eight five five six one six one six twenty that 's the Accident mortgage talk and text line all right here is my question what What do you think is going on? What is it about the world we 're living in? What is it about what's going on now that is inspiring or causing or motivating so many women to become first-time firearm owners? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if you are one of those women who over the last couple of years has made that decision to go out and, and become a, a gun owner for the, the first time, I would be incredibly intrigued to find out why it is that you're doing that. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line. I have some theories as to what's going on, but the explosion of new gun purchases are, are being driven in, in large part, or at least in a good deal in part, by, by female purchasers of guns. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line.
1: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: We are broadcasting live from Summerfest 2021. This is Fitz and the Tantrums, who are performing at 10 o'clock this evening at the Briggs & Stratton Big Backyard. Um, again, it's always a pleasure to be down here at Summerfest. The school year is officially underway, and all kids deserve a safe space to reach age-appropriate milestones and overcome developmental challenges. Please join WTMJ's Gene Miller all month to help raise money for Penfield Children's Center in Milwaukee. To learn more about how you can help, and about the mission of Penfield Children's Center, please go to WTMJ.com. WTMJ Cares is sponsored by Gruber Law Offices. One call, that's all. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. I guess I, I find this to be absolutely fascinating. The new numbers are out that show that gun purchases, which historically have been overwhelmingly male, 80 90%. Have now switched, and they're estimating that over the last two years, well, 4 million men became first time gun purchasers, 3.5 million women became first-time gun purchasers. 855 um, 616 Jeff, I am one of those women who became a first-time gun owner. Why? I think the police response is going to be more hard to come by in the near future. I prefer to do my best to defend myself, my home, my pets, rather than to be a helpless victim. I have my concealed carry permit, and I have trained um, extensively. Jeff, eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acutet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All you have to do is watch the um, as you watch the, watch the ten p.m. news. As you just said, it is the world that we live in. Well, I think there's an answer to that as well, um, Jeff. The answer to your question in regards to women are buying more guns is that we are concerned. Women are concerned that we are um, defunding the police. Well, there is an element of that as well that's out there. Another text, Jeff, I think most people are feeling a need personal protection because of the lawlessness that is allowed to happen. See, that's an intriguing point because in the story I'm looking at, and they're, they're, they're focusing on this this female gun club that that really took off in a big way in San Diego, and they're interviewing the women, and, and one of the things... A repeated comment is, look, there is a concern that civilian authority might not be able to protect people. And there's all sorts of references to the various riots. And I understand some people are uncomfortable with using the word riot. But let's face it, what went on in Kenosha last year, for example, was, was a riot. No question about it. And so what you're hearing is a number of people, particularly women, but I'm sure it applied to men as well, but a number of women are saying, look, we're, we're seeing this stuff we are concerned that we're going to get caught up in, in the middle of something like this, and we want to be in a position to be able to protect ourselves if that happens. And, see, that's, that's a bad way to be if you get to a point where you're concerned that, you know, the civilian authorities aren't going to be able to take care of you. But at the same time, that, that is sort of, I think, the reality that, that's driving people. 855-616-1620. K in Oshkosh. K. you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Hi, Jeff. Um, I have to say about four years ago, I got a gun and my concealed carry permit. And um, at that time, it was more of a situation of someone stalking me, which uh, Mm -hmm. my husband was going to have no part of. So I took care of that and didn't want to be just a helpless victim. But um, by the time last year rolled around and seeing all of the craziness, whether it was in Kenosha or just big cities throughout the country and then the defund the police. And, you know, so I'm, I'm repeating some of what um, you have already said, but I just realized, Mm -hmm. thank God I have this and I will be renewing it this month. Actually. Uh Um, Mm -hmm. I just really encourage everybody to just try to protect themselves and don't wait around for authorities to be able to do it because unfortunately we're in a situation where you might be waiting too long and you're, physical self, your property, something could happen, and, and I just think that women need to stand up and be stronger about this.
2: So you're not surprised by these numbers? I mean, you're, you're one of these women. You no. think more and more women are kind of coming to that conclusion, yeah?
3: Oh my gosh, of course. After all the craziness that's been going on, I mean, all of last summer, what did we see? All the businesses being vandalized, properties, the couple in what was it, Georgia or Alabama, who had to defend their house, You know, um, stand outside with guns and, you know, it's looters, it's everything. And you don't have to be living in a big city to be uh, afraid of those things. You know, it's pretty naive to think, well, I live in a small little town. It's not going to happen here. Yes, it is. And I'd rather be prepared than, than not.
2: Now, Kay, did you did – you, you said you got your concealed carry permit. Now, in Wisconsin, there's not a proficiency element. In other words, you you sit through the class. You don't have to prove you know how to use sure. it. I mean, have you learned how to use your firearm?
3: Uh, we target shoot. My husband and I, yeah. and am friends, we target shoot quite frequently. Yep.
2: Got it. Okay, got you it. To, Thanks you for I, yeah. it. You have to be comfortable
3: with it. You have to be comfortable with it. Otherwise, don't even pick it up.
2: Th- Kay, thanks for the call. That, that was the point I was just going to make because I, I could not agree more. I, I am a proponent of concealed carry. I was one of these for, for years on this radio program. I, I advocated for it. The the concern I, I've always had about concealed carry in Wisconsin is there is not a proficiency element. By that, I mean you don't have to prove that you know how to use the gun. And I agree completely with Kay. There, there's, there's, arguably – the only thing worse than not having a gun when you need to have the gun would be not knowing how to use the gun um, when you need to use it. And by that I mean, you know, if, if you're in a situation where you're you're really in a, a life or death situation, the worst thing that can happen is you have that gun taken away from you or something like that. And it, it's just like I've, I've always argued that you wouldn't take a a 16 year old new driver and flip them the keys to the car and say, okay, go drive on the freeway. You know, here here just you know if the kid had never. Or practice and didn't have a license or anything like that, you wouldn't do it. The same thing I've always felt applied to, to firearms, and that's why I, I've always encouraged people, if you decide to go get the firearm, make that decision because you feel for whatever reason you need it. You, you, you have an obligation, I think, to yourself and to everyone else to learn how to use that particular firearm so if you need that situation, hopefully it 'll never come up. Hopefully, you will never get in a situation where you have to use that firearm to defend yourself. but if you do you 've got to know how to use it but this is this is a phenomenon, and I think it 's something again that, that people need. People need to wake up to to recognize, and for all the people that are out there that are saying, let's defund the police and let's do this, crime is out of control. Crime is out of control in the city of Milwaukee. Crime is out of control in urban areas all across this country. And I agree with Kay also, just because you live in a small town doesn't mean you're immune. But I think one of the things that's happening is when you look at at the numbers, the out-of-control crime, the fact that the judicial system, I think, is failing in many significant and material respects to hold people who commit crimes accountable, one of the things you see is more and more people, men and now women, deciding that, look, we don't want to just, be these passive victims anymore. And if we're in a situation where we don't necessarily think that the justice system is going to work, you know, we we want to not become vigilantes, but we want to be in a position where we can protect ourselves within the boundaries of the law. My guess is this trend women buying guns is going to continue, at least until we figure out a way to get a handle on the out-of-control crime problem that we have in this country. And I don't know that we're any closer to solving that problem than we were several years ago. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
3: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: Once again, this is Fitz and the Tantrums performing 9 o'clock this evening. We are down here at Summerfest at 10 o'clock this evening they're at the Briggs and Stratton Big Backyard. The 43rd Ryder Cup is coming to Whistling Straits next week. Starting tomorrow through Monday, the 60,000 square foot Ryder Cup Shops Merchandise Pavilion will be open to the public from 9 in the morning till 6 o'clock at night. No ticket necessary. Go on out to Whistling Straits this weekend to pick up your official Ryder Cup merchandise. Beat the crowds and get your photo taken with the Ryder Cup trophy, which is as close to the Ryder Cup trophy as I will ever get. Admission and parking is free. For more information, visit RyderCup.com, and be sure to tune in to WTMJ all next week for in-depth Ryder Cup coverage presented by Delzer Lithograph. Yeah, that's the, that is going to be a really, really big deal all right political correctness run amok the madison school district has just decided apparently they are in very deep discussions with the idea that they are going to end out of school suspensions for kids um kids um young kids up to the fifth grade so in other words if you have a child that i don't know brings a knife you have a fourth grader that brings a knife to school you have a fourth grader who is aggressively attacking and beating up other other kids in school. If you have a fourth grader or a fifth grader that is incredibly disruptive in the classrooms, one of the ways they handle this is... is after they try other things, they, they will suspend the kid. All right, you, you, you can't come to school because you pose a threat, you pose a danger to other people in the class, right? Makes sense. You know, you don't want to be suspending kids willy-nilly, but it, at some point in time, don't you have an interest in having to protect everybody else in the class and in allowing the kids who want to be there to learn to learn? Well, the Madison School District is about ready to nix that policy. Why? Because... They are concerned that a disproportionate number of of certain types of kids, like people of color, are are being suspended, caught up in that. And so what they're going to do is they're going to get rid of the policy because we don't want to be accused of being racist or whatever by suspending these kids. Right To which my point would be, is there ever an end to political correctness? Now, obviously, in my opinion, the suspensions should be colorblind. You know, if, you, if you're sitting and you're disruptive in classes and you're not letting anybody learn, to me it doesn't matter whether the kid is white or black or brown or whatever. If they're being disruptive and you can't get them to stop, what you need to do is you need to get them out of the classroom. If you have a child, again, regardless of what color they are, who is coming to school and bringing a weapon or is provoking fights and you know getting into all this trouble and stopping the other kids from learning, you, you've got to get them out of the classroom or her out of the classroom. And to me, I mean, again, it doesn't matter. Color doesn't matter. This is one of the things where you've got to be absolutely colorblind. But the idea that we are now going to stop Removing these kids who are the problems from the classroom simply because we're afraid that too many of this type of person or that type of person might get caught up up in this is absolutely absurd. At some point in time, don't we have to have an interest in, for the kids who want to be there, don't we have to do everything we can to create a safe environment for the children – and an environment where they are in the best position to learn, and if that means removing disruptive students, regardless of you know who those kids are and regardless of what their ethnic background is, don't we owe it to all the other kids to do exactly that? Well, I guess out in Madison they think the answer to that is no.
3: Don't go anywhere. Jack Wagner is back right after this. Guns and drums and drums and guns.
2: That, of course, is Dropkick Murphys. They are performing 9.30 this evening at the uh, Bimo Harris Pavilion um, right down here at Summerfest. This is, of course, the, the final weekend of Summerfest 2021. And it, it is a, it's by, it is clearly a Chamber of Commerce Day. And it sounds like the week's gonna, the next couple of days, temperature's gonna be absolutely great. So we're trying to get summer to hang on. I mean, I, I understand that technically on the calendar, summer lasts a few more days, but let's try to squeeze everything we can out of it. Okay. This is a story that I have been talking about for years, but now more and more people are starting to become aware of it. Unfortunately, the people that can really do something about it—they're—they're they're, they're punched out. You might have seen if you were watching television that there was an, an activist group who, like, held a press conference yesterday. They have been concerned about the the uh, increasing amount of reckless driving that has been going on. in in and around Milwaukee and in particular their perspective was it's disproportionately affecting um, some of the minority communities and and the numbers do appear to to bear that out but but reckless driving is is a problem all over the area but um, a petition let's see a thousand people signed a petition urging a more aggressive dealing with the whole situation of reckless driving. And, of course, there's been 38 deadly wrecks in Milwaukee so far, according to the Reckless Driving Task Force. The police have stepped up over the last couple months, have tried to step up enforcement, and I guess the numbers I was looking at, they say that um, more than 14,000 tickets have been written over the last seven months, and of those fourteen thousand tickets, about sixty percent were for speeding. So, okay, you know they're 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 writing tickets for this. Now, of course, here's the way it works: um, speeding in general is not going to be considered to be criminal. Um, in Wisconsin, the first offense for reckless driving is a fine of between twenty-five and two hundred dollars twenty five and two hundred dollars the second conviction for reckless driving is a fine of between fifty and five hundred dollars and up to a year in jail now obviously if the crash if the reckless driving leads to a crash then then that's a different and more severe penalty but in general if you get stopped and, and you get a ticket it's going to be 25 bucks, or it's going to be 50 bucks. And candidly, I'm not sure that there's evidence of anybody who's been convicted of multiple reckless driving situations absent you know, great bodily injury who's, who's gone to jail. It just doesn't happen. And so this activist organization that filed these petitions, they said, look, the law's got to get tougher. There have to be consequences for this because people are, are dying. My position would be... Right now, I, look. I, I'm all in favor. I'm all in favor of being aggressive and pulling people over. All right, I, I, I believe in that. But let's face it: giving somebody who is driving 90 miles an hour and blows through a, a red light. Who may or may not um, have a driver's license, giving that person a, a ticket for twenty-five dollars or fifty dollars is beyond beyond ridiculous. Because my guess is they're not going to pay it anyways. I mean, if you're driving without a driver's license and without insurance, and you blow through a red light, giving you a fifty-dollar ticket, you're going to just tear up the ticket. And and yes, then you can suspend the license, assuming somebody has it. But they're going to continue to drive. Th- this this idea that we can you know give these tickets. And that's going to stop this is absolutely crazy. At least in my mind, it seems to me that if we are in fact going to get serious, as a matter of fact that this group was talking about this, you, you've got to make the penalties meaningful, and that means taking away the cars. For example, you know, if somebody gets nailed for reckless driving and it's their third time, boom, you 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 take. You take the car. If somebody is caught driving without a license, boom, you you take the car. Now, that doesn't guarantee that they're not going to go out and borrow another car and drive again, in which case when they get caught, you take that car from them. It doesn't guarantee that they're not going to go out and steal a car or something like that, but, but you take those cars. And then... You start actually saying, all right, look, here's what we're going to do. We've got this House of Correction that's out there, and all right, this is now your second offense, reckless driving. You're you're going to do three months in the House of Correction. And yes, I know that you're not going to like that, and yes, I know it might have some implications, but we've got to get this message across, because what we are doing now... Just writing tickets, and I'm not against writing tickets. I, I, I support all the work that this like reckless driving task force is trying to do. But just giving somebody a $25 ticket or a $50 ticket when they have no intention of paying it and know that there's going to be essentially no consequences, no real-world consequences for not paying it, it's, it's almost like, why bother? 855-616-1620. That's the accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Seizing cars. Sending people to the House of Correction, not waiting until they kill somebody or seriously injure somebody by their reckless driving. Because at that point, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to go to jail, they're going to go to prison, but isn't it too late at that point? Don't we want to get these bad, reckless drivers off the road? And yes, if it's juveniles that are doing this, you know, I, I'd say the same thing applies. You've got to get the people off the streets. We have a right to be protected, and for every one of you... Who's been driving through an intersection and just n- avoided a collision that could have taken your life or your spouse's life or your kid's life, just but for the grace of God? Because gee, that that car that just sped sped through the red light, you know, with no license plates, going 80 miles an hour—it's a miracle they didn't hit me. Well, okay, you know, you can't count on miracles. We need to count on law enforcement. We need to count on a judicial system getting some backbone, and we need to count on politicians doing more than lip service. Showing up at intersections after somebody's been killed by some reckless driver and saying, oh, this is terrible. Well, it is terrible, but you need to start doing more than lip service. You need to start calling out the DA's office. You need to change the laws to toughen it up. You need to go along with seizing the cars, and you need to hold judges accountable when they don't hold the bad guys accountable. 855-616-1620. That's the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment.
1: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
0: Some may be showing up. are from up. Sometimes I was so
2: up and didn't have a clue. I ain't winning, no, I And we are broadcasting live from Summerfest. Uh, three days left, including today. That's Dropkick Murphys, again, performing at 930 this evening at the... Uh, BMO Harris Pavilion, I am looking at the stage right now from our location. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is this one of these issues where I, I really believe that the, the people are so far ahead of, of the politicians and the chattering class and the prosecutors and certainly the judges, I think people are fed up with, with reckless driving. You know, 38, 38 people in Milwaukee have died this year because of, of reckless driving. All right? That that's that's the number. Lots more have been injured and in many cases it's just there but for the grace of God go I when you watch somebody blow through an intersection at 80 miles an hour. We've written thousands of tickets. My guess is $25 or $50 tickets. Most of them probably don't get paid in the first place and the people that get the ticket they're out there, you know, 3 hours later doing the same darn thing. We got to get more serious with this taking cars telling people that by the second or third time around, you know, when you get caught, it's not $50, don't pass, go. It's you're going to the House of Correction for 90 days, and and we're going to try to get your attention. We're going to waive juveniles into adult court, or we're going to, you know, put them under some form of something other than double-secret probation. We've got to get a handle on this. Lamar in Orlando. Lamar, good afternoon.
1: Hey, Jeff. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. So um, I agree that, you know, definitely need to get much more aggressive. So here in Florida, if you drive a car without a valid driver's license or a suspended driver's license, it's a criminal offense, and so mm-hmm. there is no, you know, you go to you go to jail. You're caught behind the car. You go to jail. And I think because I believe that a lot of these people that are out here, race, drag racing, and driving recklessly, don't have license to begin with. And so yes, sir. If you're if they're getting pulled over and you're just simply issuing them a ticket, they don't have a license. They're not going to pay it. But if it were a criminal <laughs> right. offense. You could begin to arrest some of these people and then take them to jail and get them off
2: the road a lot, a lot sooner. Right, and and then do the other thing too, which is seize the cars. I mean, now, grant that doesn't help you if the car's stolen or something like that. But 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 for those people who are, are doing this stuff, or the kids that are driving with mom and dad's car or whatever, start taking the cars and then you know make people yeah. pay exorbitant fees to get them back. But. You know, it's—I—I I, I love the idea of getting more serious with this, and, and you're right, Lamar. I, I think a disproportionate number of these people who are doing it. First of all, they're kids, and secondly, they're people who don't have driver's licenses, and and give them a fifty-dollar ticket. You could just—I'm sure the police who could tell you the stories of them just watching them tear up the ticket, throw it out the window as they drive off.
0: Yep. But if they get more aggressive,
2: I
1: think that you know, got to do something to get more aggressive to get these guys off the road, and I think that that's step one.
2: I, th- I agree. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And, and really just say look, we're we're not going to tolerate this. Now I, I have a I have a text from somebody I'll, I won't identify him but this is Jeff the reckless drivers many already have been stopped numerous times most cars in these situations involve stolen cars and they're juveniles they're on probation but the problem is they're simply turned over to their parents again and again and these are parents who have no control over the kids elected officials need to pass law that make judges able to deal with this well well yeah and in juvenile court I mean keep in mind. The, the, the whole approach is we don't want to hold the kids accountable. Well, all right, this is the 14th time that you've been caught in that stolen car driving 90 miles an hour. Well, you know, don't do it a 15th time or we're going to really get serious. Well, at some point in time... Don't you, and I would address this to the people who are juvenile court judges, don't you feel an obligation to try to protect society in general? I mean, how many people have to die? How many more 16-year-olds have to drive through red lights, go in the wrong way, and hit and kill innocent people who just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time? Issuing tickets and doing this other stuff simply is not effective, and you've got to change the mindset. But unfortunately, whenever these things happen, it's always the same sort of situation over and over again. You have the politicians that show up at the intersection where the people died, and they denounce this. And they say, okay, we've got to do something about it. But nobody is willing to take that step and really do things because it means... It means holding people accountable. It means locking people up. It means taking vehicles. It means putting teeth into the law. Jack downtown. Jack, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
0: Hi, Jeff. Uh, Hi, Jeff. On a 3 on approach to your response um, or to your, uh, your topic, mm-hmm. number one, when you said the um, minorities said that they're disproportionately affected, I believe they're talking about themselves because most of the um, most of this activity is by minorities in their own neighborhoods, and the rule of the neighborhood is don't tell. You, you can see, but you don't talk. Okay. Number two, you have the judges who uh, these people go before as defendants, and they won't even put them in jail overnight. Yep because they don't want anybody to get covid okay and then like you said they're going to do uh how many offenses are they going to get before they do anything about it well we don't want you to die in jail well you know what then make better choices for goodness sake
2: no, no, Jack. Thanks for the call. Yeah, it, well, that's it. And, and here, I mean, here's actually the numbers I was referring to. Journal Sentinel has this: Black Wisconsinites historically have been less likely to die in car crashes than whites and Hispanics until about 2013. By 2018, about 17 of every 100,000 Black Wisconsinites died in crashes, compared with 10 whites and nine Hispanics across the state. <clears throat> I think that what that's reflecting is the the incidence of this reckless driving, the, the kids with the stolen cars driving at the high rate of speed, it, it's now starting to become more and more prevalent, particularly in majority-minority communities. And then you're, you're seeing the effect of this. Because, look, let, let's face it. you got some 15-year-old or 14-year-old, a bunch of 14-year-old kids in a car driving 90 miles an hour who blows through a red light. The police try to pull them over. We know the scenario. Police try to pull them over, and they take off. And, you know, more often than not, it ends with... Some Somebody driving the car into a tree or something like that people die sometimes they drive the car into other cars and people die I guess I, I say this rhetorically and if I'm frustrated it, it I am if it sounds like I'm frustrated I, I am because I know I sound like a broken record on this, but these are the stories that are out there day after day after day and and nobody does anything about it. And look, I'm not saying it's easy. I understand that this is hard but we need to have a sea change in attitude. We need to recognize and I'm with this community group on this one we need to recognize that this is a big deal and we need to recognize that we've got to hold people accountable and and yes, that means you're going to ruffle some feathers, judges and prosecutors and, and yes, even elected officials who might be in a situation of maybe you should be using your bully pulpit to say hey you know we've got we've got five or six juveniles these are repeat car thieves. This is the fifth or sixth time that they have done this, and they've been put on probation and sent back to their parents time and time again, and, and let's, let's call out these judges who have made those bad decisions. Yeah, so maybe you need to use your bully pulpit to do that, but isn't that better than attending funerals of innocent people on a regular basis? All right, back with more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Mobile Studio at Summerfest. This is the Jeff Wagner
2: Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Hey, if you're coming down to Summerfest, be, be sure and stop off and say hi. Matter of fact, we are in the, the area right behind the Gruber Law Office, the Sports Zone, and right just next door to us is our, our, our counterparts, our, my colleagues, my teammates from uh, WKTI ESPN 94.5 Milwaukee matter of fact I was walking by and Tony Smith and Steve the Homer True and Steve and I go back a long way I just did five minutes on their show hopefully I didn't get them in too much trouble but whenever you're doing a show with Steve True you, you know he he's going to lead you down those areas but we had a lot of fun but if you're coming down to the area be sure and stop off and say hi we, we just absolutely love it three more days of Summerfest and as Melissa was talking about during the top of the hour newscast Summerfest has confirmed with, with Don smiley told me a couple weeks ago next year they're bringing back the same format that they use this year but it's the more traditional dates in other words three days thursday through saturday for three consecutive weekends i understand and then then they're going to evaluate my guess is this is going to be at least something they do for the next few years to really try to get a fair indication because this year it, the summer is in september and you've got the whole the pandemic background uh, on this whole thing. So this year, whatever the numbers are and stuff is, is not, I think, going to be a representative sample. But for people who are the traditionalists, and gee, I, I loved it when it started on Thursday and then ran all consecutive days through the a week from that Sunday. The, the, the truth is they're trying to experiment with things. And, and the other reality is there, there's always this... You're putting on an event like Summerfest. There's this, this fine line between you—you you want to you want to make it as fan friendly as possible, but at the same time, you you want to arrange things in such a way to attract the largest crowds possible without overcrowding things. And, and the truth of the matter, this is just the reality, is, especially around here, the, the, the big nights where people are more likely to go out are Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. That, that's this reality. Historically, if you would look at Summerfest attendance numbers, um, Monday, that's one of the reasons they dropped Mondays 10, 15 years ago, Monday was always a, a very low-attended day because people... Don't go out on Mondays. Sunday tends to be a low attended day as well, as was like Tuesday. And then as you, you move in, you get later in the week, you know, people end up starting to go out more and more. So they're trying to balance that. Also, what Summerfest is doing is as you try to you know book the bands, they're trying to... I mean, booking over nine days is easier than booking over 11 in that you can you can load the, the talent more. And what they're trying to do also is they're trying to have more, and I don't mean to depreciate that the bands that might otherwise play at, at, at 12 noon or at 1 o'clock, but they're trying to put more national acts on on the stages earlier to maybe, again, uh, attract more people down here in an earlier way. So I I think, you know, next year it's going to be the three-day format, three-weekend format, and I would not be surprised to see that be the case for the next couple years to get a a valid sample. You mean you need to have a long enough sample to tell is this something that's going to work or or something that's not. But the the reality is, I understand that there's all these traditionalists out there, but you have to be willing to acknowledge that, hey, hey, things have to change and things have to modify, and I'm always just blown away. I was just taking a quick walk around the grounds during the break as somebody who has been coming to Summerfest since the early 1970s, and I always say I, I was not at the Ice Bowl in Green Bay in 1967, but I was at Summerfest in 1972, the night that George Carlin got arrested for the seven words you can't say on TV or in Milwaukee. I mean, I've just seen all the different changes, and I can remember we used to come down to Summerfest, it was mud, and it was porta-potties, and, and now that that whole dynamic has changed with the infrastructure, and I'm looking at the, the Bemo Harris uh, stage just um, which is just to my right as I look to the south here and then of course the new amphitheater and just all the infrastructure Summerfest has changed but they have to do that they have to keep figuring out ways to if not reinvent themselves ways to continue to modernize themselves and I, I think the success that you've seen is the fact that this is a lot of music festivals have come and gone over the course of the last 50 years and um, here, here you know we're in a situation where, where Summerfest is still thriving okay during this pandemic, one of the things that I think ha- has has hurt has hurt our efforts at dealing with this is the fact that we, we've gotten a lot of mixed and inconsistent messages. I understand, by the way, that that science changes, <clears throat> and I understand that something that we think. We know about a particular, let's say, a virus that we haven't dealt with. Something that we think about in February might, all right, that some of our our beliefs might have to change once we start getting more data in in June, which is one of the reasons why I I understand people said in the beginning, you don't need to wear masks. And then after three or four months, they decided to change that because the information has changed. So, I mean, you always have to modify your thinking based on on what the number shows. That's what science is about. My beef has been... That I think there's been a lot of stuff that has been knee-jerk and, and hasn't necessarily been based on on science. Oh, we've got this this one this one study that's out there. Boom, let's pivot and let's let's change our approach. And 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 I think in some respects it's been these kind of mixed messages that have gone back and forth. That's always been my criticism of Dr. Fauci, who I, I understand some people just just absolutely love him and some people just absolutely hate him. My, my position has always been I, I think he's overexposed. I think he would have done himself a great service if somewhere along the line he would have decided that he didn't have to do every TV interview and, and every radio interview and every newspaper interview because I think think he on many occasions would be saying inconsistent things he'd say something on sunday and then he'd say something different on on tuesday and there really hadn't been a change in in the science and it's those mixed messages that i think have set us back a little bit we're going through that right now with the whole notion of of booster shots now originally when people got vaccinated the idea was okay this is going to be good you know we, we don't think that you're going to need booster shots. Well, okay, that is now that's now changed, and so now we're we're getting conflicting advice. You know, we're getting the Biden administration, which is apparently saying we want people to get booster shots, and you know, after six months after your your first dose, we think you should get a booster shot. And if you're somebody who's in a particularly vulnerable category, like over 65 or whatever, and the underlying health issues, you maybe you should get it like right away before the, the six months. Well, okay, that, that's the deal. But then at the same time, I'm looking at a study today that the CDC coming out and they're saying, "Well, we're not sure that uh, we're not sure that, you know the booster shots are necessary. They might be necessary at some point in time, but you know, we, we don't know. I'm looking at a story right now from the FDA. Food and Drug Administration says the vaccines cleared in the U.S. currently provide sufficient protection against severe diseases without additional doses. All right, so this is the, you know, FDA from just a couple days ago, to which my point is, all right, as somebody who is pro-vaccination, who are we to believe? You know, what? what's on the one hand, you've got like the Biden administration saying, OK, we, you get the booster shots. You know, after six months, you know, get the booster shots. The FDA saying, well, we're we're not sure that there's anything that says that, that people need them. Other groups saying, well, at some point in time, you might. But we don't know where that kicks in. And the average citizen going, OK, well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to get a booster shot or am I not supposed to get a booster shot? I have some friends who are in. I would describe who are in the at-risk categories. By by that, I mean, you know, they're um, in, in the age groups and, and maybe an underlying health condition, you know, something affecting their, you know, their immune system and stuff, who, who've already had the boosters. I, and I know a couple of them who, who did, and they, they qualify. From my perspective, I, I guess as somebody who got the vaccination and who had no adverse reactions to it, I mean, I guess my reaction is, I'm not sure if I need it or not, but when it's available to me, I'll probably get it because, again, I kind of figure it it can't hurt. But we're getting all these mixed messages from government. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, here's my question, and this is addressed to those of you who are vaccinated. If you made the decision to not get vaccinated, that's a whole other topic. Um, are you going to get the booster shot? Have you gotten the booster shot? And if so, why? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm going to get it when, when my turn comes up. But I confess that it it's a muddle. If you follow the, the different stuff and you're trying to like follow the science, and you've got the FDA saying one thing, and you've got the CDC saying another thing, and you've got all this bouncing back and forth, it c- clarity is not is not, I, I think, our friend right now. 855 616 You're going to get the booster shot. We discuss in just a moment.
3: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: That is Megan the Stallion. She is performing tonight. She is the headliner at the American Family Insurance Amphitheater down here at Summerfest. 855-616-1620. That's the accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think in, in battling the pandemic, in some cases, the government its own worst enemy, by, by putting out inconsistent advice. And I, I, as I said earlier, I understand the science changes. And, and you, of course, you, you have to be willing to move with that. But this whole area of booster shots, though, I don't think anybody knows what the answer is. You've got the Biden administration. Which is heavily pushing booster shots. You've got the FDA, which is saying, "Well, you know, we're, we're not finding convincing evidence that they're they're needed." And the more you get this, uh, at best, this lack of clarity, I, I think the more difficult it is to convince the American people what they really should be doing. Dave and Huberta, Dave, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hi, Jeff. Um, Hi. I have been double vaccinated with Moderna, and I had minimal side effects from doing that that right. was done in, by the end of march and i'm pretty dead set against getting a booster because i i don't see enough proof that it's going to do anything it's, i think it's too early to say um it's worthwhile they don't have any yeah. proof of any like you said you're getting mixed messages as to what you should do
2: Right. And, and that's I mean, I, I have a text here from somebody who said, I got the booster shot because I, I know what's right to do for my health and others. I'm not selfish like non-believers." Uh, it, but, but that misses that misses the point. I mean, I agree everybody should be vaccinated. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, if if they don't know if you need the booster shot and there's not compelling evidence, or at least there's conflicting evidence as to whether the booster shot is necessary. Don't don't. I just think people need to be leveled with. I guess Dave, one one way or the other.
4: I I agree, and I guess I'm willing to wait. Um, I don't know if that's till December or January or when, but I'm willing to wait and see what results they can come up with to say whether it's really beneficial or not.
2: Yeah. Now, thanks for the call. I appreciate. It. I guess see, and and my as I was saying earlier, I my my feeling is for me as an individual i had no problem i, I mean i had covid and i know i had antibodies but okay i got the vaccines and and i had no reaction at all and so my sense is for me i'm probably going to get the booster shot because in my case no adverse reaction and that doesn't mean because i haven't had one in the past i wouldn't have one again but i i'm not concerned about that and i guess i figure it can't hurt that that's sort of that That's the conclusion that I am, am coming to, that I just don't think it, it can hurt. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. And like I say, I do know people who've had the booster and no adverse reaction to it at all. Because, again, you want I want to do everything I possibly can to assure that I don't get sick from this and don't give other people the stuff. But I, I do, given the vaccine hesitancy that's out there, I think the government needs to... But before, for example, the Biden administration comes out and, and pitches this heavy, you know, you've you got to figure out, okay, what's what's the basis of this? And I understand there's a study in, in Israel that says that these boosters, particularly the one, I think Pfizer, lose effectiveness over time. And, and maybe that's the case. But, but that's why when we're following the science, I think what we have to end up doing is, okay, understanding, is there a consensus with the science? Because... The confusion that you cause on boosters, if you don't think that that um, is, is ammunition that the people who are reluctant to get vaccinated in the first place do, well, you're just kidding yourself. Bob in Wawatosa. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
4: Yeah, how you doing, Jeff? Yes, Hi, Bob. Um, I'm 81. I suggest that everybody really get out and get that booster. There was a conclusive article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, 5,000 words at least giving the case for it um i've been calling all my friends uh, i've got the like i said i've got the third shot moderna and pfizer have both published the fact that the antibody levels have dropped down moderna said after six months some places it's down to 34 percent. now everybody's different so you might uh, you're probably you're yet younger than i am and as we know each other and the fact mm-hmm. is is that uh, you're pretty healthy and in good shape and it's not for you so much but the guy's over 65, if they have anything, especially if they're overweight. Andre John, is right. An right now, he's way overweight. My daughter's a doctor, and she said, You get the, you get this disease, and you get the inflammation in the lungs, and the body, with all this extra weight, just simply cannot handle that inflammation. And that's why my sister died, who was also overweight. So the father died. In yeah. It's the big Bob, thing. Bob, if thanks you you for calling. Your cell phone.
2: Yeah, I appreciate. It. I'm sorry, your phone's breaking up a little bit, but yeah, I guess that's and, and like I was saying, that the people I know who have gotten the booster shot are again people who fit into a couple of those categories again with you know immune compromised sort of issues and all, and and that's why I. I will, like I said earlier, I when, when my, I'm I'm not pushing my way to the front of the line, but I mean when when it would be my turn, I, I will probably do it because I figure again, in my opinion, it, it probably can't hurt. But I guess that the larger point to me is I think the government, the t- the way out of this is to, I think, be clear and upfront, and I do think it's important to follow the science. The problem is that we don't know what the science is, and this is one of these classic examples where I think, for example, I think the Biden administration would have done well to pull back a little bit until we knew for sure what is the policy going to be, because having the CDC saying one thing and having the FDA say something else – that, that doesn't give people confidence in the system. But just like you, Bob, when my number comes up, I, I'm going to get the booster because I figure what the heck. I'm going to get the flu shot this fall, too. matter of fact, I got a notice from my uh, medical provider saying it's time for the flu shot. I get the flu shot every year as well. All right. When we come back, we're going to find out what Eric Bilstadt has on his mind for Wisconsin's afternoon news. This is Jeff Wagner broadcasting live from Summerfest 2021.